Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. As a leader, get to know yourself first. You better do the homework first because you um, you cannot effectively lead if you are not strong in your own values, um, mission, and vision. You better have a strong mission and vision because your employees are going to ask you every single day, where's the company headed? And you better be able to respond. In, in the early days, I didn't know. I said, I'm not sure. That was the wrong answer because I, I didn't yeah. even realize. I was telling them, Oh my gosh, this, the leader doesn't even know where the company's going. Why would I want to be around here? Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed episode 133. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brent Pullman. Brent is the owner and CEO of Midwest Laboratories, which performs analytical testing in human health, animal health, and agriculture environmental. In 2023, Brent released his first book, Leaders Look Within. The book is a testimony to Brent owning his heart to live a life of gratitude. Brent, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. No, it's great to be on the show, Naftali. Okay, and welcome, by the way, to the world of authorship. I've got two books, and I will tell you, uh, it is not a small feat. Anyone who sees some that someone has written recognize that a lot has gone into that process. Uh, hopefully, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I'd love to start, though, with just your story. How did you get started? Uh, talk me through it a little bit. Yes. Um, so, as you said, you talked about Midwest Laboratories. I'll probably just go from there. I'll do the quick Real quick here, um, my father founded the company in 1975. Um, I worked through high school, college as a family business. And then after college, my dad and I had a pact where I needed to go off and work on my own and, and experience, uh, bring some experience back to the company if I ever decided to come back. In two, 2005, I came back as a marketing director. In 2016, my dad and his two partners, his two partners retired and so it was my dad and I for the, the next five five years. In 2020, my dad retired at the age of 80, and um, the company is uh, one year away from celebrating 50 years. Uh, wow. We are a lab that does testing, again, in three verticals, animal, human, and agriculture, environmental. And we are a production lab. We do high-volume sample testing. So when we say soil sample testing, in the fall, after harvest, we get anywhere from 20,000 to 40,000 samples a day. On the mm. pet food side, we get about 1,000 to 2,000 samples a day year round. So we are a high production uh, analysis lab that gets does the analysis and gets results back in three to five days for our clients. That's so a little what, bit about the- What, would, what yeah. would a client want to, let's say you said soil testing. So what are they typically looking for and how does your testing help them? Sure. Um, we do a lot of work again with growers, ag retailers. They are looking to maximize the potential that's in that soil with the nutrients. So they're looking at fertilizer applications, plant applications, uh, water, everything to maximize yields. So they you take that data and analyze it to see what how to best do that, whether it's good spots, bad spots. And probably about 2007, when Precision Ag really took off with computerized monitoring of fields, that's when our volumes really took off too, was about 2007. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm curious about this pact you had with your father. 
uh, I'm, I'm wondering if in retrospect, you thought it was a good idea. Did it, did it help you? Would you recommend other people do something similar? Because, you know, if you have founders, their kids, there's an assumption, I would imagine that for most of them, unless the kid really doesn't like what the dad or the mom is up to, um, they're going to follow in suit because it's just an easy path for them uh, to get right into things and whatnot. So I'm curious to know if that's a recommendation you would make to help them gain a little bit of independence and outside perspective, or if you felt it would have been better for you to jump right in and learn this business. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it was the absolute right thing to do. Um, one of the other partners that my dad worked with, he had um, sons and daughters in the business, but they came right out of school. And when you come right out of school, you don't know what's on the outside. I know if I would have come here right out of college, I would have always wondered what's on the other side. By going to the other side, working in corporations, uh, teaching in the classroom, having that experience, when the time was right to come back, I knew that that I was ready. I knew that I could bring some, I could add some value because I had been in the corporate world, in the accounting, in the HR, in the systems world. And I had a nice good set of experience to come back to the business and really see how I could use those skill sets again to help the company. Um, sounded like you had multiple positions. I mean, you I mentioned did. classroom teacher, you mentioned accounting. How many different jobs did you have during those five years? Well, uh, I so it was a period of about 15 years. And every 15 five years. years. Yeah, 15 years before I came back. And um, I taught for five years right out of the gate in high school and college. And then um, worked in the corporate world at, at companies like Mutual of Omaha, uh, Arthur Anderson, just before it went down. And then uh, an engineering company called HDR here in Omaha. And uh, mm -hmm. most of the, my career was spent, again, doing systems implementation, PeopleSoft in the HR, finance, um, and uh, and recruiting on that side. And I think what what all those experiences, again, together helped me, helped shape me for coming into this marketing role that was uh, happening in 2005. And obviously, the advent of Google and the internet was really coming alive, iPhones, all that technology was really, I came at a great time. I mean, timing okay. is everything, but I did. Yeah. Really time. yeah. Timing is everything. And you can't really know it until it's happened. Um, so, so let me ask you this. I don't know if this is a question you get often. I, I have a background in education as well. I was in the field for much longer and I continue uh, to provide coaching and, and, and consulting services. In fact, on Monday, which is president's day. So you get a sense of when we're recording this, um, I will be up in Chicago and I, a little bit closer to you than what I am currently to do multiple trainings for educators. They have like a full day teacher training program. Um, so what would you say are the primary, let's say, what, what would be two lessons? Let's start here. What are two lessons minimally that corporations can learn from educators or from schooling? What corporations can learn? And I've never been asked that question, by the way, before. I think... I think with teaching, obviously you have to have, you have to know the product, you have to know what your, the content that you're going to relay and you have to temper that with experience. Somehow you have to have the experience, but all types of teaching skills. If you have, I think leaders today, we're moving from titles to more leading teaching and coaching. I say teaching and coaching because we have to reinforce skill sets. And I think I loved coaching too, by the way, in high school. That was one of my biggest, I loved that part of it too. 
But I think coaching is really needed today with our directors, our managers, because you have to continually reinforce learnings. You have to continually reinforce knowledge. So I think that teaching background really helped me um, as far as managing and leading today. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a it's a bit of a plug just because that's what I do now. I moved from education into coaching, so I totally get it. Um, and I see oftentimes that people, the biggest problem, especially for leaders themselves, many of them, many of them also need coaching, but they hire people, they hire them based off of, um, let's say qualifications on the previous level. And often those, those, those previous levels are more about what the individual him or herself is doing for their respective team. Let's say they're a great salesperson or, uh, they do really well in terms of their delivery on, on services. And now they're asked to manage others. Now they're asked to go to the next level and to think about creating a vision, creating a culture for a team, uh, motivating people, dealing with with their challenges. So it moved from me to we. Uh, it's mm -hmm. actually a chapter that I have in my book, my first book, Becoming the New Boss, where I talk about that, that leaders really need to shift their mindsets. So I think it is very valuable to have coaching uh, for those leaders, really for all of them, but mid-level managers in many ways in particular, because they're new to this whole arena of leadership in a more formal setting. And many of them don't even know, know where to start. Um, so is there any other advice in that context that you would want to share to no, help people you, develop their people? You have summed up what it's taken for the last two to three years is really that whole development of managers and uh, directors. Because I'm working with science people, they're very analytical mind, totally different um, uh, on a totally different level. And it it's it's great, but it takes time. It takes investment. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a week, you know, a week long training. It has to be reinforced. It has to be gone over. Um, and we're we're making a difference. You know, you've succeeded when your own uh, science people want to go back and they want to go get their MBA or they want to learn more about this whole working with people because they understand it's a whole different level of being a manager, director, or leader. So I'm I'm seeing that even in our own staff, which is really excites me. And yeah. uh, I think it's cool. Yeah, I really do. yeah it's it really easy. is. And and I actually just uh, wrote an article on emotional intelligence and uh, I'm working with one of my clients currently on communication skills in particular. Uh, she came to me with great technical skills, but was struggling to properly communicate both up to her superiors as well as to her direct reports. So uh, I'm curious to know what advice would you give to somebody who specifically is struggling with their emotional intelligence, where maybe they are, you talked about having a bunch of science, you know, sci scientists and people who are really good in that area. And it's a different part of the brain. It's a different part of, of, of how we, of how we interact. I might be really good at my cubicle developing these concepts or in a lab, you know, studying or analyzing, et cetera. But if I am going to be part of a team or I'm going to be reporting data, I need to be out of my own head, right? So so any advice there that you think people would benefit from? I really believe leadership is very personal and a person has to want it. You have to own it yourself. You've got to know, first First off, I think a lot of people, we and I, I look back at my own career, I just went through the whole day, didn't even think about my core values. I didn't think about what my whole everything coming together. Today, it's part of a daily routine. I think having a daily routine 
and getting you the mindset every single day is just it it's I have to do that every single day. And I'm such a better person because of it. But it really takes working, I think working with a coach, if you really are a person is very serious about it, get some one-on-one coaching. Do you get find out what that is? You're not going to get that in a classroom. You're not going to get that in a, you know, you can I read so many books. Work with somebody on it because it really, again, it takes reinforcing. It really takes um, learning about yourself more, taking the time to learn about yourself and just spending that time. And when you do that, you, uh, again, become such a better person for yourself because you got you to gotta know yourself first before you can lead others. And once you do that, I, I really believe you will be a, an effective leader. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And the thing in particular, you said towards the beginning that you have to want it, you have to own it. Um it, it's so true because I, I have certain clients that, you know, because of my work, let's say in, in, in schools in particular, so oftentimes a school will have an allocation, often federally funded or, 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 or based off of their district, et cetera, where they have funds and they want to utilize those funds to help individual teachers. And so the teachers are getting this coaching. They didn't ask for it necessarily, but they're getting it. And, you know, oftentimes you wonder, does the client want it enough is are they really prepared to own this and even with my quote-unquote paid clients like people who are actually paying it for themselves whether their businesses themselves etc you know i try to go through a process to determine up front i hope they're not just throwing money at me i want them to really feel like this is something i need and it's something i'm going to work towards because oftentimes when we get when we get inundated with work when we feel pulled in different directions, it's the self-development that usually goes first, right? Because I'm, I'm too busy putting out fires. I'm too busy getting my job done. I'm not, I don't have time to think about what some people might view as fluff or a nice bonus or whatever it might be. So you as a client, I think need to have hear this, but I think the leaders too, before you say, oh, I'd love to bring coaching to my team. There's, there's a certain readiness that I think has to be there are certain open conversations that need to be in place where, hey, we're struggling here. Our, our feedback has not been great in this area. We need to do something about it. And, and so this is a way that I've identified and, and, and let's take it from there. But but it's it's not just a given that people are going to want and own you know these processes. Absolutely. No, it's hard. And I work together closely with my chief strategy officer, uh, Dana, and she is so good at that. I mean, she has invested two to three years in our directors. I mean, two to, we're not talking one year, two to three years to really get them to really own the process themselves. And that's what it really takes. It takes a lot of it. I'm, I'm just, I can't believe, at first I couldn't believe the investment she was making in people, but it really takes something like that. And then it finally clicks. And then they, the person wants it for themselves. And then they, then it just really does take off. But it, it does take a lot of time and investment if in people, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. so worth it as a company. Mm -hmm. Oh, we are such a better company than three or five years ago. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You can tell. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Let's talk about your book for a minute. I know you, uh, I'd like to hear more about it. What, are, what, what the focus is and who the audience is. I know in the bio, I, I mentioned that your, your intent is to live a life of gratitude. And so I'm curious to know, first of all, where does that mission, so to speak, come from? What's the tie into the book? Take us through it. Yeah, we've we've kind of hit on different pieces as we've talked just now. Uh, but the premise of the book really came through my transformation in the last five, six years. 
I was highly reactive six years ago. When I took over with my dad, I saw my dad who had never got out of the operations till he was 80. And I don't think, he, I think that's why he never knew how to lead, leave the business. And he ultimately had to, because of health reasons. And he just, I think he just reached a point that staying home was not going to work for him. Um, but it, but through that process, you have to really learn who you are yourself. Uh, and again, I remember someone asking me my why, and I'd give an answer. And they, and again, it was Dana. She just kept asking me, what's your why? What's your why? And she would ask me over and over. I was almost getting frustrated because I would change my mind or it just wasn't that strong. And that's when I really woke up and just said, you know, something's got to change here. If we're going to lead effectively, I have to get out of this reactiveness I got to do some more on the emotional intelligence side. And that's really what the book is. It's more my my perspective. So here's some things that worked for me. I mean, who am I to talk about leadership? I mean, there's thousands of leadership books out there. But I think what I really learned through the whole process is that it's personal. You've got to own it. And you've got to, you've got to really have strong core values if you're going to lead effectively. And for me, it's part of a daily routine. Um, I wake up with a heart of gratitude. I, I do something physical activity. I got to get the mind, the body, everything going, the blood flowing. And then um, I journal. I write down things. I write down things like my goals for the day. Um, one of the best things I write down that helps me deal with pressures is what was I uncomfortable with yesterday? I have to write that down every single day. What was I uncomfortable with? And then by doing that, I can choose to spend, do I need to spend time on this? Or is it just something that really I don't, I just need to just let it go or you know, I don't need to spend time on that. But I've gone from being highly reactive to more, much more relational. And you will get okay. further with people than any process or technology is how what I'm convinced of. Very on. interesting. Very interesting. Nice. Well, I appreciate the story, the back, the background, the context. Let's actually talk about journaling. Um, okay. I have some some curiosity around it too. But you know, if I'm going to go to stereotypes, I would imagine that most people who journal are women. Um, and I think that many of them are doing it, you know, in part of, let's call it a self-care package. You know, it might include everything from yoga or meditation, prayer of some kind, exercise, the food piece, all of that. And journaling is an element there. Most male CEO types are not assumed. I'm not, I don't know if they do or don't. I don't know the data. But I think if you ask someone, you know, what is the average, what is the percentage of, of white, you know, male CEO types that are out there journaling on a day-to-day -day basis, if I had to guess, I would say people would probably say 5 to 15%, not a very high number. I, I have no idea, but I'm just going to guess that number. You might, you might have a different view on this. Um, I'm curious to know how you came to that. And if you had to make a pitch on behalf of the... Journaling Association of America, which I have no idea if it exists, but let's pretend it does. And you were going to be their spokesperson. Um, what would you say have been the main benefits for you to go through that process, despite the busyness and everything else you have going on personally, and the fact that it may not have been anything you thought of doing in your twenties and thirties and 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 in those years? Well, I I did learn mine through a mastermind. Um, I it's called the Momentum Planner. Um, it's Alex Sharfin. It's it's the person that I worked with, and uh, it gave me again the structure that I needed to see every single day. It's all filled out. It's, you know, what are your top three goals? What are you grateful for? What are you uncomfortable with? Um, 
those for me, I have to have it structured. I don't just sit down a empty sheet of paper and write down what my goals are for the day. I used to be one of those that kept a, you know, a to-do list or a goal list. I don't, I have three top goals at the most because I know that's how I'll be most effective if I have really three. Um, but what it really does, it just really gets your mind concentrated or in a framework where what's most important today, you know? And it really, I, we talked about our why. My why is I'm a person of faith who coaches people up and leads from the heart. I say that every single day, it's ingrained. And when we have those things ingrained and we do them on a regular basis, we become much more consistent in our actions and we grow in our awareness. I think that's really what it's all about. When we grow in our awareness, we can see, we can see things a whole lot differently and we are much better, again, a much better place to make good decisions, really hard decisions, and um, that'll uh, take the company forward, move all of us forward versus backward. Okay, so lead from the heart sounds a little a little bit like a platitude. I don't mean to be condescending, but no, let's make fine. it like, let's make a practical on brass tacks. What would that look like for people? Well, for what, me, what's an example of a distinction where leading from the heart versus versus not? So I I use the example you're in a meeting with your your top people and they all come to you and they say, I think everybody in this room deserves a 30% wage increase. My first reaction would have been, what the heck? What? It, why, why are you guys saying all this? When you leave from the heart, you're like, I have to, I literally, it's physical. I have, I take a huge deep breath. Every time I say it, I take a huge physical deep breath and I say, okay, where's this coming from? What's, what's, re what's really behind this? And it's really, again, it's more of a different mindset versus totally reactive because I was majorly reactive at home, at work. And I think that's when I say leading from the heart, you, it just, it, it comes together, mind, body, soul, spirit, everything comes together. And you just really think, what's the best way here versus my, the mind says, first reaction, my first reactions are terrible. Nine times out of 10, when I hear something right away, I might, it might trigger something. It may be something from my past whatever, but I just stop. I have control of that now. I didn't before. I would just say whatever. Oh, I didn't care. I mean, I really didn't to the point where I didn't care what was, somebody would say something. I just, top of mind, boom, here it is. And you've, we've all worked with those people too. And that's hard. I mean, that's, and, and it's really comes from a weird place because we never know really what's, what's behind that. And is it true or is it what's happening here? And we are questioning. So, uh, so it's I, been, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've heard, I heard social from you. I heard emotional from you. But you also mentioned spiritual a few times. How does spirit factor in? What, what are the, what are, you know? Because somebody might say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a good people person. I'm connected with, with everyone going on. You know, everything going around. I, I certainly, um, you know, want to be socially connected. All those kinds of things. But you obviously are, are a firm believer. Right, a believer in God, a believer in, in 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 spirituality as a central element of your life and of your practice. How does that manifest for you? Again, you have to want it and own it and believe it. I mean, you can go, you can say you have it, but it again, if it's not part of your day to day in prayer, whether it's prayer, whether it's just where there's something you always know there's something greater than yourself. And you're reminded by that. And to me, that's the gratitude piece. Then, then that everything flows from God. That's, that's where my whole life, that's where everything revolves around. So that's where I, and it really came to, 
we there's times in life where it really hits hard and it hit hard when my mom passed away and she had mm -hmm. prayer journals and I went through and I kind of wanted to rediscover everything after she passed away I didn't realize how much I missed my mom and then I read all these journals and I said you know what I need to be more intentional about my faith and I didn't even know what I was saying at the time and after I said that and I prayed about it, I was like I needed I really need to work on this this faith and this prayer and get more spiritually grounded to um to lead to uh, to lead not only myself but again see where that goes with others but that's that's really where certain events again I think help us bring all that together and in my case it was my mom passing away that really gosh I I see that power and prayer and she prayed for so many people I needed I think that's what I needed to be doing too she gave mm -hmm. me that example and I need to <clears> really <throat> act on that it could be what I'm going to ask you now is colored by where I live, which is up in the Northeast and, uh, and uh, different areas of the country have different views on spirituality and faith in the workplace. Um, but I think for the most part, it's been, the trend has been for a long time to leave God out of business, so to speak, and to not, to not bring elements of faith. It's okay if we talk about maybe God as a concept or the universe, or maybe we talk about spirits or spirituality on some level, but to, to make it more of a private endeavor and not sort of bring it front and center um, in the workplace. And I'm curious to know, and it may be different in Omaha than it is in New York in that regard, is that something that you just keep within yourself? Is it something that you, so to speak, wear on your sleeve and 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 that that affects others around you? What is your comfort level with bringing God to the office? Let's yeah. call it. I do. I do not force my faith on anyone. Now, if anyone asks me, I will. I'll answer questions. Um, and I think the way I did this, I talked about my mom, and this this is a story that's in the book. Um, when my it was on my mom's birthday, my dad and I were. Uh, I didn't want my dad to be alone. It was the first year, or within the year that she died, we went into this coffee house. And on the wall, it said, how can we pray for you? And I looked at my dad and I said, I think mom's trying to tell us something. So if you walk in our main doors of our office, you will see a prayer wall to the left that any employee, guest, uh, vendor can write any type of request, petition, and know that it'll be prayed for. It's very non-threatening. I think it's what's needed. I think people want to be prayed. Um and there's other pieces, I think, of our faith that can really um, be incorporated. One of the strongest things, I think, is calling each other by name. I think that's so respectful and personal. When we call each other by our names, um, and that's why I have 300 employees here, I'm trying to learn names. I don't know the names of everyone, and I forget often, but I know when I call somebody by their name, it really stops them in their tracks, and it makes the whole conversation a lot. It shows that I care. And that's really what the whole purpose of faith is, I think, is by calling people by their name. When I started as head of, as head of school, I asked um, one of the teachers who had access to this information to send me all the class pictures of the students with their names underneath. And that allowed me to learn names much more rapidly. And so even over the summer, when I was first getting into the community and all of that, and I would go to a restaurant or see some of the students, I'd be able to say, oh, you must be so-and-so which helped me a lot. It gave me an advantage of walking in, not being a complete stranger for an entire year, let's say, however long it would have taken. Okay. So let me ask you, um, what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's just starting out? 
get to get to know yourself as a leader as a leader get to know yourself first you better do the homework first because you um you cannot effectively lead if you are not strong in your own values um mission and vision you better have a strong mission and vision because your employees are going to ask you every single day where's the company headed and you better be able to respond in in the early days i didn't know i said i'm not sure that was the wrong answer because i i didn't yeah. even realize i was telling them oh my gosh, this, the leader doesn't even know where the company's going. Why would I want to be around here? You mm -hmm. can't have that. You can't, you have to know where the company is going. You have to be, and it may take you being out of the operations. I, I you know, I had my leadership team came to me and said, you need to get out of the operations and work on this, you know, and take the company forward. And they were absolutely right. That's what a leader yeah. does. It is so funny you say that because I remember my first uh, unofficial leadership experience that I recall um, I was providing, uh, let's call it rabbinic or, or, or kosher supervision for a restaurant on the west side of Manhattan. I was a I was a high school kid. I, maybe I was in twelfth grade, and the the organization, the 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 certifying agency, had somebody there. Let's say Monday through Friday, regular hours. This was a Saturday night, and so I would I would go there and. Part of my job, just to make myself useful, because there wasn't all that much to do, was to man the register. That was basically it. At least that's what I was told. Then I get a phone call. It was the first night I was in the office, uh, in the restaurant. And I say, someone says, you have a phone call. I pick up. I didn't know who was calling me. I said, hello. And she says, is this the manager? And I said, mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Because nobody ever told me that I had the role of the manager that, you know, while yeah. I was there. And then I checked with the lead waiter and that's what he told me. Yep. That's, that's what the, the rabbi typically does. He, he, and then I got back on the phone very sheepishly. Um, so I learned right away what it's like to be a leader and not know what you're doing. Um, not that I've ever figured it out fully, but I certainly, um, I certainly remember getting, or getting her like, are you sure you're the manager? It, it, it put me in my place pretty quick. Uh, so yeah. let's end this segment with the question I ask yeah. all of my guests, Brent, and that is, uh, what is the biggest mistake that you have made that has set you up for future success? Um, I thought I could hire directors and leaders and bring them in from the outside to change the culture in a, in a hurry. And I did that. And I brought in seven people. And within four months, I had marched all seven people out because I had one of our science people who had been here 15, 20 years said that I'm going to have 15 people walking if you don't do something here. I knew something was up during that time. And it really, I think it opened my eyes that you can't get there fast and you don't need to get there fast. You need to build something from the ground up. You got to have a strong infrastructure as a company. We've been working on our, infra that's our goal for probably the last four years is infrastructure. That doesn't sound very sexy, but that's, you have to have a strong infrastructure if you're going to continue to grow and um, lead with change and bring everybody along. So that yeah. was really the big lesson for me. Nice. Okay. I don't think I hear that that kind of response all that often. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Okay. So we're now going to go rapid fire, short okay. and sweet. The first one is three action steps that every leader should do every day. Um, I Routine, self-care, and listen. Okay. If you had an hour with one person who you would never otherwise meet, and it could be a historical figure, who would it be? Patrick Mahomes. Interesting. If you would be repositioned from CEO to sports coach, which sport would you coach in? Basketball. 
two strategies to become more connected spiritually. Prayer and small groups. Of? Others that are in the faith. Okay. A great exercise for people who are starting to feel their age. Physical exercise. Great physical. Um, um, strength. Measure your strength. Mm -hmm. I've actually heard that strength training is very important, especially as people are aging. Something neat about living in Omaha that most people don't know. Um, I think quietly it is becoming, it is kind of a secret area, but it is very flourishing. There's so much to, so much opportunity here. I wouldn't, I would not go anywhere else. Nice. And finally, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. In, invest in your people. You'll go further with people than any other, than any technology or any process. Nice. Okay. So how can people connect with you, learn about more, more about your work at your book? I would say the best is on LinkedIn. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn, my book. You can search my name, Brent Pullman on Amazon. Uh, I am working on a website. It's not quite done there, but LinkedIn, um, buy the book on Amazon. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way. Awesome. So before we let you go, Brent, uh, please leave us with one final life lesson to end the episode. Uh, surround yourself with great people. Take your time finding who those people are. But once you have them, you will know more about your company than you ever did when you were in the day-to-day -day operations if you find the right people that you can surround yourself with. Awesome. Thank you, Brent. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure getting to know you. Pleasure to learn your story. Um, learn from your wisdom and experiences. And I certainly am excited to share this with my audience. Awesome. Thank you again for having me on the show. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 